um, John Paul was very stern and said, take the statue, go back. And he said, I traveled back to Portugal with the statue sitting on my chair with the seatbelt around Our Lady of the statue. And he said, I drove straight to her. And, and this is where we get to my, I, I have a simple thesis on this, which is, do we need to know whether the consecration has been done or not? There's a lot of consternation. Everyone's arguing it hasn't been done. Some are saying it's been done. But what everyone can agree on is the consecration hasn't been done exactly like our lady requested. So goes back. Coming soon on the John Henry Weston Show. With the Russia-Ukraine conflict right now, the whole wide world is confused, but it also brings up Fatima back into attention. From 1917, Our Lady promised that if Russia was converted, it would be the source of salvation for the world, a re-Christianization of the world. Not only that, she promised that if it wasn't consecrated to her Immaculate Heart, as she requested, that it would also be the instrument of punishment for the world and it would spread its errors throughout the world that when it was done and it would be done late, it would convert and Russia would convert that is and a period of peace will be given to the world. So the key to peace right now is all to do with Fatima and the consecration of Russia. There is probably no one on earth more poised to talk about this than our next guest. His name is Charles Morton. He was involved with a lot of things. He has nine children. He's a very faithful Catholic. He's got a beautiful story of his own, but the story of his that is so important right now for the world is his story about his work on the consecration of Russia. He's seen Sister Lucia. He's interviewed Sister Lucia, interviewed her spiritual director, interviewed all sorts of people in preparation of a key documentary that he's putting together. Not only has he, and only has he interviewed Sister Lucia herself, but also he's been to Russia a few times, met with all sorts of very important high-ranking bishops there, Bishop Tikhon, uh, Archbishop Hilarion, and uh, also been in the palace of, or the, the chapel of even, uh, Kirill, who's the patriarch there also met with very high-ranking uh, members of uh, the government there, Putin's secretary, in fact. This is Charles Morton. This is his revelations, and it's going to be incredible, about not only the third secret of Fatima, also about the need for the consecration of Russia from a perspective you will not have heard of. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. <music> Charles Morton, welcome to the program. Thank you, John Henry, for inviting me. Let's begin as we always do at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. It's a real pleasure for me. It's a grace for me to be bringing you Charles Martin. Charles is a great guy who I met in Rome and uh, was really neat. I remember sitting with him in a cafe in Rome where he described his family and what he's been doing. And I was stunned with 10 children and an incredible history of both life and suffering and redemption and then working with Mel Gibson, Jim Caviezel, and all these great stars. It's an amazing thing. Charles, if you could start off with that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm a, a lawyer. Um, it's my professional qualification. I got out of law and then into business in 1996, but those sort of skills don't leave you. And um, I started down this track uh, many years ago, and um, I went to Fatima for a trip of Thanksgiving for something that happened with our family. And, uh, and that was in 2000. And, um, and I, I asked the Virgin Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mary, if she'd like me to use my skills for her. And um, 
anyhow, she gave me enough, what I think incontrovertible signs to start down this track. So I had the privilege to meet Sister Lucia back in 2004. And um, I, but before that I'd, I'd met Mr. Gibson and, um, and I was on the very periphery of the film. And uh, I was lucky enough to, to be on set for a number of times. Um, he's an extraordinary filmmaker and Jim's an extraordinary actor. And what they did for the world with that movie is just incredible. Um, so I actually showed Sister Lucia the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ on behalf of her. And, uh, and I got to meet and speak with her. And uh, look, it, it's been an amazing journey. Um, when I went in to meet with her, the, the priest said to me, please, no questions about the consecration. And I've been brought up to um, follow the directions of a priest. And so I felt terrible about it. I, there she was standing across the bars from me. And um, I couldn't ask her about this consecration. And You know what, Charles, yeah. that's... Now, this is the priest who's with Sister Lucia telling you not to ask about the consecration of Russia. Why not? Her spiritual confessor, Father Condor. Look, first of all, I thought, you know, he doesn't, he wants to keep this strictly to the film. And then after sort of getting right into it and trying to understand where we're at, I think the answer is, more along the lines, he didn't know what she would say, right? He couldn't predict what her answer would be. You know, the, the church said that in 1981, they did a consecration and then someone went to Sister Lucia and she said, no, it hasn't been done. So they then did the consecration on the 25th of March, 2000, oh, sorry, 1984. And, um, Anyhow, after meeting Sister Lucia, showing the film, and there's some more things that happened while we showed the film, but I'll, I'll keep that for the documentary that's coming out. Um, after that, I did an interview with Father Condor, and he said he rarely does interviews. And I've got a two-hour interview done in um, 2004 on the... Uh, 25th of March, which is the 20-year consecration. In fact, in, in the interview, he says, he looks at his watch and he said, right now, at this particular time, I was in Rome at the consecration. After the consecration, he was sent back, he was asked to come back to the, one of the upper rooms in, in uh, St. Peter's. And he said, I was there with a group of cardinals. I was the only priest. And Pope John Paul said, has the consecration been done? And he, uh, he said... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So this is after Pope John Paul II has done the consecration of the world in 84, and then he's meeting with a group of cardinals after he's already done it? Straight after he's done the consecration. Straight okay. after. They go back into, and I'm presuming it's the room where the Pope comes out after he's elected, somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't specifically say, but he says he's in the room with the Holy Father and all these uh, cardinals, and the Holy Father says, has the consecration been done? And they all look at him, and he puts his hands up and says, you know, I don't know, I haven't got ESP with Sister Lucia. And he said... Um, John Paul was very stern and said, take the statue, go back. And he said, I travelled back to Portugal with the statue sitting on my chair with the seatbelt around Our Lady of Fatima's statue. And he said, I drove straight to her. And, and this is where we get to my, I, I have a simple thesis on this, which is, do we need to know whether the consecration has been done or not? There's a lot of consternation. Everyone's arguing it hasn't been done. Some are saying it's been done. But what everyone can agree on is the consecration hasn't been done 
exactly like Our Lady requested. So if he goes back to Sister Lucia, and uh, Cardinal Bertone says that he had this discussion, but this is on tape from, from the man who actually asked Sister Lucia. And he said, and I was very specific because in my former life, I was a trial lawyer and you watch for subtext, you watch for reactions, you know, and that guides your next question. Well, he said, I sat in front of Sister Lucia and I said, has the consecration been done? And she looked at me and answered, heaven has accepted the consecration. And I said to Father, Father, look, I'm a, a bit of a different mix. I'm a, a, a filmmaker and a trial, former trial lawyer. And I said, I look for subtext and there's subtext in that answer. And he said, what do you mean? I said, you asked her a yes or no question, right? He could have answered it, yes or no. Has it been done? Yes. Has it been done? No. But no, she chooses heaven has accepted the consecration. And so implicit in that, I said to him, I believe she's saying, it hasn't been done exactly like I asked, but heaven has accepted the consecration. Now, if it hasn't been done exactly like she asked, what are the consequences? And everyone seen, everyone who says consecration's been done, let's forget about it. They miss one. Let's, let's come back to the co consequences in just a second. Yes. Because this is so fascinating. I, I think this is some of the first time people are hearing this information. So John, John Paul II. Just tell you this. I have sat on this information not knowing when to release it to the world. Right? The interview with Father Condor is incredible. But you asked me to do it. There's a war in Russia. and you, uh, Sorry, there's a war in Ukraine. Russia's involved. And we have to get the consecration done exactly like she asked. So sorry for interrupting. Absolutely. But, but this is mind-blowing information because that part of the story, it's, it's not told. That John Paul II, after he did the consecration in 84, the one that everybody says in the documents from 2000, the Vatican says it was done, it was done, it was done. John Paul II questioned whether it was done, he went to a room full of cardinals and Father Condor, who is the spiritual director for Sister Lucia, and asks, has it been done? And then when he can't really answer, sends him back with the statue on a plane right to Portugal to Sister Lucia, and then says, please ask her. Then he goes in to ask, and it happens as you related. He asks her this question, uh, very much a yes or no. She gives this kind of heaven has accepted. So as you picked up, <laughs> I would say miraculously, but you were set up for that job. My goodness. So continue from there. So now let's go back to the consequences. I'm sorry. I needed to just get that. It's incredible news. And, and John Henry is more. I'd heard it said, and it was all hearsay. John Paul was asking on the day, why can't I mention Russia? Why can't I mention Russia? And you hear all these things. Who's the man that will be able to answer that? It's Cardinal Chivich, his private secretary at the time. And um, so I thought, what the heck? And I flew into Krakow. I didn't have an appointment. I leave it all up to the Holy Ghost. He's my coordinator through all these things. And I approached his office. And they told me, go get nicked. And, and then I met a young man at, at a, a traditional Latin mass who spoke perfect English and, uh, and Polish. And so I got him to help me out. And finally, I, and I, I just, I didn't have a flight time out of there. I was going to wait until I got this interview. And sure enough, then they told me that he will see me for five minutes. And, but he wouldn't let the camera roll. He'd let the audio roll. And, um, and I got an interview with the translator who was just stunned at the interview. And they said, he'll give you five minutes. Well, he was just incredibly gracious. And he gave me a, not quite an hour, nearly an hour. And I asked him the question, did Pope John Paul say, why can't I mention Russia on the day of the consecration? 
And he looks at me and he smiles and he's ever the diplomat. And he says, it sounds like something he would have said. Now, you would like a, a church official to just say yes or no some of the time, wouldn't you? But I think what he was saying is, of course, John Paul did say, why can't I mention Russia? And there's a whole history behind why he couldn't mention Russia. And it goes back to the beginning of the Second Vatican Council. And I don't know, do you want to hear that reason? Sure. Yeah, yeah. please. And before the Second Vatican Council, Pope, um, Pope, uh, Paul, uh, Pope John Twenty-Third requested members from the Russian Orthodox attend the Second Vatican Council. And they were knocking him back. And he really desperately wanted to include the Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox and other Orthodox churches at Second Vatican Council. And they said, no, 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 no. And then finally, he, he got a meeting with them. And it was on a town, and I, I've forgotten the name, but it's in my notes. It's on a town on the border of uh, France and Germany. And uh, anyhow, the KGB were in charge of the meeting. They sent four representatives down there and they were Russian Orthodox, but there was also, they, they're thought to be KGB members at the time because they, they ruled Russia, they ruled the church at that time. They came and they met. Now, Pope uh, John sent his delegate, which was a cardinal called Montini. <laughs> and he was there negotiating with them and, um, and they agreed to come to the Second Vatican Council, but there was this proviso. Nothing to be said about Russia. No mention of Russia, no criticism of the communism, uh, the Communist Party, nothing to be said about Russia. So he agrees to it. And the, they send four delegates to the Vatican too. And, and that's a whole other story, you know, until we can unpack what's going on with our church. We've got to know what happened at Vatican II. But anyhow, they turned up. And of course, through the course of uh, Vatican II, um, Pope John dies. And they appoint the new Pope, Paul VI, and it's Cardinal Montini. And he's very, he's very aware that um, they can't mention Russia. So there's this whole... Um, diplomatic protocol that exists in the Vatican right up until 1991. No mention, nothing adverse against Russia. But of course, down comes communism, right? In 1991, those rules are gone now, right? And, and I, was, I was here thinking, how do we get this consecration? I've got to go into Russia. And I've been into Russia now three times. I've met some fantastic people all the way up to the private, one of the private secretaries of Mr. Putin and, and just incredible people. And the Russian people, I've got to say, I, I travel the world a lot, or I used to before COVID, and they're just beautiful people. I, I had one chance to go into Libya, so I took it and, and it was as scary as all hell. I was going in there to look at their filthy. But the people, they're just magnificent. And... You know, this whole business where we think of the Russian bear and then, you know, they're just like us. They're children of God. It's, it's amazing. So I went into Russia and um, started asking. I met, uh, who's now um, Bishop Tikhon, the Metropolitan for Moscow. Um, I met uh, Metropolitan Kirillian. I haven't met Patriarch Kirill. But I did, on the day you and I met, later that afternoon, I did an interview with Bishop Schneider. And he speaks fluent Russian. He is the most beautiful prelate you can ever meet, I think. Anyhow, he, uh, he does a plea as to why Russia should consecrate, um, or why Russia should be consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, to Patriarch Kirill. Now, I've sent it in, I haven't heard anything. But I'm not stopping John Henry. We have to do this. So going back to the actual where Father Condor asked Sister Lucia, has the consecration been done? And she answers, heaven has accepted the consecration. And I then put this scenario, it's a yes or no answer. Now, right at the beginning of my interview, 
I asked Father Condor about the appearance of Our Lady in Fatima on the 13th of August. And they were taken by the mayor, Turo, back to a neighbouring town and they were put in the council lockup, the kids on the 13th. So they had to miss it. And the town folk of Fatima were outraged and they went and they were eventually released after, you know, despicable things being said to the kids, boiling them in oil to, you know, tell them the story. Anyway, uh, they are down at the Cova and it was on the 19th of February and, and, uh, and a lady appeared to them in the Cova and then she said, have you been here on the 13th of August? as I had requested, midday on the 13th of each month for the six months. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, had you been here, then the miracle of the 13th of October would have been far bigger, affected the hearts yeah. of all people, seen by more people, and shortened the length of the First World War. Again, it relates back to war. Oh. That's what so wait, that's okay. That's also monumental. Hold on. So the miracle that was already seen by 70,000 uh, on October the 13th would have been bigger seen by the whole world. No, no, and no, the, seen by more people, more people, but the length of the first world war would have been shortened. Had the consecration been done exactly like oh. Galatia. Now, Father Condor says that. Really? And he, you oh. know, so I needed independent proof of this alleged, you know, um, what Our Lady said on the 19th. And I was with um, Bob Moynihan from the editor of Inside the Vatican at Front Royal over near Washington. And we'd been to Mass and we came back and we're sitting down and we're talking about all things Fatima in a pancake shop. Bob is a fascinating man who's doing so much to open. It was because of Bob that I got into Russia, you know, and his contacts in there are incredible. And uh, he is a lovely man. Anyway, uh, we were sitting there talking about Fatima and we finished our pancakes, walked outside and this lady came up and she said, excuse me, in a very, you know, distinct New York accent, um, excuse me, um, I heard you talking about Fatima. And I go, yes, yes. And she said, there is a, two books that I've got to recommend that say everything. And, um, and I said, all right, uh, what are the two books? And she told me the name and I, I texted them down and I sent them home to my wife to buy them. And I'm not, after we finished speaking, I did that. But I said, now, where are you, what's your name? And she said, my name's Mary. And I said, right, that's it. I will buy those books. And, um, and, I, and she told me she was from New York. But anyhow, I bought those books and it's a breakdown on every miracle. And sure enough, you go to the 13th of August and here it is, and it gives the time at, uh, on the 19th and what Our Lady says, but it doesn't say, and the First World War will be shortened. That came mm. from the mouth. But it, it's incredible, like to me, it's simple, stupid. Don't get caught up in asking whether or not it's been consecrated. It hasn't. We know that the full graces flow if the consecration is done exactly like Our Lady asked. We've got a war going on between Russia and Ukraine. How, how, and, and, our, and, the, and the Pope actually dedicated his priesthood to Fatima. Hmm. And... Um, and yet it's just kicked under the carpet. Oh, yes, that happened long ago, bad luck, goodbye. You know, it's just not on. We've got to do it exactly like Our Lady asked. And Russia now should be asking exactly that. I, I've heard the Ukrainian bishops are asking. I think we they could are. do a consecration to Russia and one to Ukraine. But let's do it exactly like Our Lady asked. Sorry. I'm uh, it's, it's no, it's so, it's so monumental that because that day we we actually met in person for the first time was the day cardinal burke called for the consecration of russia explicitly as our lady desired 
uh, of course, then uh, Bishop Schneider very enthusiastically uh, signed on to that same request. Uh, LifeSite launched a, a life petition, a petition to the Holy Father to do that very thing. And then now we have, it's, it's, think about what this is. Ukraine is undergoing a massive uh, war and tribulation from Russia. And the bishops of Ukraine have appealed to the Holy Father to consecrate Russia. Yes, and Ukraine as well. But they have themselves asked for the consecration of Russia as Our Lady requested. This is huge. This is the opportunity like none other for the Pope to not only now heed the, the request of heaven made in 1917, uh, but also now in the midst of calamity to answer the bishops who are speaking for the very people undergoing or suffering under this war. John Henry, what is the promise Our Lady made when she said the consecration's done? It's yeah. we will get very there. simple and beautiful. When we consecrate Russia to her immaculate heart. I, there's been something said in, in one of the books I read, the consecration will happen, but it will happen late. And um, look, I think I think any consecration is a good thing. I, I, when I was in Russia, I got an invitation from the Patriarch Kirill to dine at his, his dining room in the seminary outside of Moscow. It's about 40 miles out of Moscow. And so we went there and um, anyhow, and we we're in that room and I was with Bob and, and his, his invitees. And it just occurred to me, we're in, and there was this just incredibly beautiful picture of Our Lady holding the infant Jesus. And um, I think she's holding the infant Jesus. But anyhow, uh, I said, what about we, we do a consecration here? And Bob is very eloquent with words. And I thought, beauty, Bob will be able to lead this. And he looks to me and says, well, Charles, you lead the consecration. And of course, it's not what Our Lady asked. But we consecrated Russia in the dining room of Patriarch Kirill to, to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart. You know, as best we could as individuals who fervently want peace. And um, anyhow, I don't know that it had any effect, but uh, the Pope's got to do it. My goodness, in this day and age, he could send an, in, a, an invitation to every bishop in the world. And that was one of the reason why the 81 consecration didn't work is it wasn't done in unison with all the bishops of the world. Every one of your listeners, if that invitation went out, they would petition their own bishop to say this. So we would have it before all the bishops. We, would, we could have the wording done in a millisecond you know, that he would send out. He could do this next week. Right. And it's so urgent. He could do it tomorrow. The thing is, it's a great opportunity for people right now. The, the, the bishops of the world are all asking, what can we do? What can we do? Part of the synodal process is to hear from the faithful. Let's ask them as we're asking for fidelity, as we're asking for the Latin Mass, as we're asking for, you know, many, many things that the church is in need of. One of the main things she needs is still the consecration of Russia by the Pope with all the world's bishops. And we can ask for that right now. It, it's, there's never been a better time. The bishops of Ukraine who are suffering the most, they're asking for it. Why not let's in unison with them ask our bishops, plead with the Pope to do this together with the bishops. Pope Francis dedicated, as I understand, dedicated his papacy to Our Lady of Fatima. He has a strong devotion to her. This is simple, stupid stuff. We consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in unison with the bishops of the world. Um, don't, let's not indulge in has it been done, hasn't it been done, but we know the full graces flow. That's the meaning of the August appearance, I believe, why they were in jail, why they were kept away, because Our Lady said that, and it's the hardest of all evidence to find in the Fatima story. Just do it like Our Lady asked. Yeah, and what, a, what an interesting parallel. And I, I truly believe you were given that by the Holy Spirit. Not to say that you're not smart and put that all together yourself. But the amazing thing is, 
he, Father Conrad tells you the story, Father Condor, excuse me, tells you the story about how it's, Our Lady's wishes aren't fulfilled through no fault of the children of their own. They were taken away, couldn't go because they were held in jail. They can't go nonetheless, so Our Lady's request isn't fulfilled exactly, that they're there for the six months on the 13th. But then we get the message from Our Lady, had it happened as she requested exactly, the graces would have been bigger, but in, in that huge way of a shortening of the time of the First World War. And now we fast forward to the consecration of Russia not happening exactly as she requested. And then what have we seen? Because we were promised by Our Lady it will be done. She, in fact, said it would be late. So did Our Lord when He, when he appeared to Sister Lucy in, uh, in 1933. But the thing was, here we have Our Lady saying it will be done, that it'll be done late, but also when it's done, Russia will be converted and a period of peace will be given to the world. And that's so fascinating because that I think everyone can agree we've not seen peace since 84 or any time because of the scourge of abortion. There's wars all over the world, but the scourge of abortion is just untold numbers of innocent children dying brutally. So there's been no peace. Our Lady would never say there's peace in the world, even a small period of peace in the world, while that's all going on. So in a way, there's an obvious answer to the question as well in terms of consequence. But what will this do when this truly simple, as you said, act is fulfilled according to her exact wish, which we know will actually happen? There'll be some incredible miracle of peace like we've never seen before. John Henry also, the analogy, John Paul wanting to say, but being prohibited from saying. It's like the kids in jail wanting to be mm. there, Our Lady, but being prohibited from being there. Mm. Amazing. It, it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, and then if the graces all flow, like the, obviously there was grace from that consecration because Russia, you know, I grew up as a kid saying the prayer to St. Michael for the conversion of Russia at the end of Mass, right? Yeah. And I remember as a young man, oh gosh, I don't think that'll ever happen. And then suddenly, you know, Gorbachev gets in there and Perestroika and all the rest of it, and it breaks down. And it breaks down some years after that, uh, after the consecration. It has to be as a result of that. There are various people that say Reagan and um, uh, President Reagan and Pope John Paul were the two greatest uh, influences in bringing down Russia, bringing down communism. But yes, look, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff. It is, and it's so, it's so fascinating that also this connects back to the Second Vatican Council, uh, to uh, Pope John the Twenty-Third, to the sort of deal, some call it Ostpolitik, to not con not to criticize Russia, communism at the time. It provides an answer also to why some of the schema, the the documents that they wrote before councils, they were done also for the Second Vatican Council. They were all tossed out the door especially the condemnation of communism, which was a robust condemnation that was going to be used, totally gone, never used. Um, and so that provides an answer to so much, and here it is playing into the future now. It's incredible. Um, Archbishop Vigano wrote a beautiful article, and he said, to understand Vatican II, and I'm paraphrasing here, and I apologize mm -hmm. if I don't get it exactly right, but he said, to understand Vatican II, you have to understand the innovators, right? Who were the people bringing about the new mass after the council had started? And then you get in and you start understanding who Monsignor Bugnini was. And, and there's an incredible book that, that just really helped me, was the Ottaviani intervention, Cardinal Ottaviani. And they came back to Paul VI and said the first iteration of the Novus Ordo was invalid. I read that in some book somewhere. And I, you sit back and go, well, who are these innovators that are changing their mass so that the first draft 
is, is invalid. There's something absolutely diabolical there. And people, we just sweep it under the carpet. And all, and we're being asked, the people who attend to a traditional Latin mass, we're being asked, you've got to accept the um, Novus Ordo as part of the concession that we'll make to you. You've got to accept Vatican II. Well, I'm happy to accept Vatican II once we have a proper analysis of it. Like, I, th I think the documents themselves um, aren't what a lot of people say they are. I think it's the interpretation of Vatican II and uh, how it's been implemented. And it's decimated our church. And people will sit back and wonder, you know, I, I, I go to a traditional Latin mass, but I got caught one place and I thought, oh, well, I'll sit, stand down the back and notice sort of, there was a sea of grey hair. And our place, you know, it's just chock-a-block full of young kids. There's something wrong throughout the world, John Henry. But, there um, it is. There's one, one thing we have to address because this is very confusing. Um, you talked about Pope Francis uh, having consecrated his papacy to Fatima, to Our Lady Fatima. It, it, true enough. Uh, but you have this situation with Pope Francis, the most um, concerning situation with any pope in the whole history of the world. Um, you don't have another situation. In fact, uh, many people have said, uh, and I agree totally, it would have been much more easier for the church to have a pope who had a few women on the side and some kids and things like that, rather than the scandal of what looks exactly like heresy, the shutting down of masses during COVID, the massive restrictions to the Latin mass, um, and then the name calling and so much that we've seen. So how is it that you hold hope for Pope Francis still? Look, he said at the start of his pontificate, I'm going to mess things up. You know, I'm going to confuse things. Now, he also said that if you want to understand my pontificate, read Robert Hugh Benson's Lord of the World. And I've only just started that. So he is a, he's an anomaly in a lot of ways. But we have to get to this situation where we consecrate Russia. Um, you know, a lot of my friends hold that he's a heretic and he's not a pope. And, um, and I believe that he's done some terrible things for our church. But in the end, you know, we're not the master strategist here. That's the Holy Ghost. He's steering us through. I, I recently had a chat to my bishop and he'd never heard of St. Dom Bosco, the, his dream where the ship is steering between Mary and the Eucharist. And that's where we've got to be. That's where it's all at. And the Russian Orthodox have valid sacraments, you know, and uh, I had a friend who, he, he's been very instrumental in assisting me in Russia. And he came to Rome and I waited and waited and I couldn't stay with him. But anyhow, he went straight in to see Pope Benedict. And I had some questions for him on Fatima. And Pope Benedict reaffirmed, and this is two years ago. So the last time I traveled, just before COVID. So my friend from Russia flew in and he had a meeting with, with uh, Pope Benedict. And I'd wait six days and they wouldn't let me in to see him. And, um, but anyhow, he went in and I had these questions for him. And what he was able to uh, elicit from Pope Benedict was, Russia will be the reason for the re-Christianization of the world. Right? And he also said, Fatima is still very relevant. And I'm taking that to mean it hasn't played out yet. He said, I think, in Rendsburg, in 2010, this is Bishop, uh, this is uh, Pope uh, Benedict. To understand Fatima is to, all you have to do is to look at Our Lady of Akita. And Our Lady of Akita says, priest against priest, bishop against bishop, cardinal against cardinal. There's turmoil and the corruption goes right up, right up into the Vatican. And Look, we, we still have, I did a wonderful interview with Christopher Ferreira. He is a gifted man. And he is so knowledgeable about 
the explanatory note, my, my term, the explanatory note, but there was, there was a letter written by Sister Lucia. Now the Vatican are in denial that that even existed. You know, we know the start of it. The dog were in Portugal. And uh, anyway, uh, it's just incredible that we haven't been able to get to that. And I suspect, I've got no idea of knowing because you know, Sister Lucia didn't speak about it because I wasn't able to speak about it. But I suspect it confirms exactly what Akita is saying which there's corruption in the church. Now, if you're the Vatican, why would you release that? Right? If you're Cardinal Patone and Cardinal Sedono, um, why would you release that? Um, you keep that hidden and you try to suppress it. But we all know when you suppress the truth, it bubbles out, it pushes out the side and eventually it comes out. We've got to get to find that and, and really, We've just got to do the consecration because it'll all happen. You know, once the consecration's been done. Um, Francis is an enigma, John Henry. <laughs> he's certainly, uh, he's stirring things up. He's messing things up. People are despondent um, about what, what he's doing to the mass. And that's part of where we're at. I think we've got to, peel back the layers of set in Vatican Council and find out if there was a, uh, an illness in there, if there was a design to destroy what's the source and summit of our faith. So we live in fascinating times. And I say to people who get despondent, no, 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 we are living in the most incredible times. Like it's tough if you're in your Ukraine at the moment. Um, and I pray for the people there. But uh, we're living in incredible times and we've got to have a skip in our step, a joy in our heart, a love for our fellow man, um, the glory, you know, in the mass, glory to God the high, and peace to men of goodwill. Like if we've got goodwill towards our fellow man, we have peace. And uh, so I'm striving away, chipping away in my little world I will get this documentary done. Um, a question you asked me off camera, which is very relevant to the real hardliners, is the Sister Lucia that I met the real Sister Lucia? And I have this view. I think when people are set on this is what definitely happened, they have a narrative. And the only way to explain that narrative is Sister Lucia was replaced. And I know there's, there's uh, pictures of, of Sister Lucia's eyes and all this sort of stuff, but it can easily be explained of the frailties of an aging woman. Right? And I went to see her, I, I had a um, projectionist who was of the Jewish faith. Anyhow, he was an incredible guy, but he went inside behind the cage to set up the film, The Passion of the Christ. And when Sister Lucia walked past him, like I had a cage in front of me, but he was in there setting up the, camp, uh, the projector. She walked past him and he said, he received a charge of electricity that started and went all throughout his body. I've got a little interview with him where he, he speaks about Sister Lucia. Mel got to meet her and Mel said to me, she's the real deal, right? And, um, you know, and one thing about Mel is he's intellectually honest. He's fantastic, you know, like a gifted filmmaker. But, you know, he wouldn't say that if it wasn't true. And I, and I believe her to be true. And really she's opening the gateway by her answer, which is heaven has accepted it. You know, but you haven't done it exactly like Our Lady requested. That was her next sentence that she should have said but didn't. But it's there for us. And that's part of us gaining our faith. We've got to search for it. We've got to strive for it. We've got to understand it. Um, this, this journey has been amazing for me. It started back in 1999. And, and hopefully I'll have a, a documentary. I've, I've got some incredible interviews 
you know, from throughout the world. Scott Hahn did an interview on Our Lady on this particular subject that I'm focusing on, not the consecration, but on Our Lady. And it is blowing. You know, I, I really, I've got to stop everything else I'm doing and finish this, this documentary and get it out. That you do indeed, Charles. Yeah. We are right at the time now where we're needing it like never before. Yeah. Charles, where can people uh, get hold of you so that they know when your video is being released? We will, of course, promote it when it is. But uh, where where do people get hold of you or see what you're doing? Uh, I, you're the first person I've spoken to. I've kept this completely until now. Um, Wow. Well, we will we will wait for the release then, and we will publicize it everywhere. But uh, this really needs to get done. They could write to you, and you forward them on to me. Um, you know, there's people, uh, there's people who've met Sister Lucia who have their own individual stories. There's not many uh, who've got their own individual stories that I'd love to hear from. And that, you know, I'm happy for you to you receive that. And um, absolutely. And what then, we're going to do as well is we're going to set up a life funder, which is a fundraising platform that LifeSite runs and uh, to help you finish this documentary. So because honestly, the world needs it now. Thank you. I've, uh, one of my troubles is, I've, um, you know, it's, it's cost a fortune to do what I've done. And previously, I've been able to afford it. But look, our lady is amazing. She just looks after his she's the strategist in this you know i love the our lady of guadalupe and that's actually how it all started i i had a family accident on the feast day of our lady of guadalupe and i knew nothing about her back in 1990 and then you see here's the virgin mary who is uh, bathed in the sun surrounded by the stars standing on the moon comes straight out of the book of apocalypse you know mm-hmm. and uh, and She's got it all under control. She is the master strategist. So she'll make it happen. But, uh, and, I, and I say to everyone, I say to all of your listeners who, who, are, who have doubts about the Virgin Mary and her role in salvific history, I say to them, just say a little prayer. Our Lady, if you're out there, show me. Blessed Virgin Mary, if you're out there, show me. And she will come somehow some way flooding into your heart so uh, it's brilliant i i think also uh, mel's film if he if, if it comes the the resurrection will be a catalyst because really john henry the reason we're facing all the turmoil that we're facing is, is people don't believe in god anymore they don't believe that christ was the son of god and rose from the dead and Look, knowing Mel like I do, he will make an extraordinary film if he's permitted. And um, it will, it'll be the catalyst. It'll change the hearts and minds of men. Because once you believe in, in Christ, there is no abortion. Once you make that understanding, you know, there is no euthanasia. There is all of these things. And, and Back to Fatima, where Our Lady said, uh, unless the consecration is done, Russia will continue to spread her errors. You, um, you put me in touch with a lady from Romania, and, uh, and she speaks about what is cultural Marxism. And cultural Marxism has spread from Russia all throughout the world, throughout the Western world. We've, we've picked it up. And she does the most incredible interview. I have to thank you for that because it's, it's explains what's happening in the world. You know, where did all the, the, um, the breaches of the Catholic church, our fundamental doctrines, where did they all begin? They all began in 1920s in Moscow after the Bolshevik revolution. And anyhow, Russia, to their credit, and I have, uh, I've sent you some photographs of the churches that they're building over there. And, you know, Putin, I don't think, is, is the man that the West would have you believe. And uh, I think, and it's a, war is a terrible thing and nothing can condone it, but he is, he's trying to protect his own country. And um, 
you know, would we do the same? Would Australia do the same if someone set up camp down in Tasmania, our mainland do the same against the state or even in New Zealand? You know, if something happened, America did it with Cuba, didn't they? You know, they stood up to them, can't do this. Um, but it's tense times. Sorry, I'm rambling. No, that's uh, amazing. Just what's going on is so momentous. People are all trying to figure it out. But we have, I think, the moment of Fatima in a way that we never have before. This is a thing that no bishop was willing to say until Cardinal Burke did in 2017. And since then, even apart from a few bishops who signed on with him, there's been virtual silence. And virtual silence since like 1984. That's a long time. And all of a sudden now, we have the bishops of Ukraine as they're suffering from Russia, begging the Holy Father for the consecration of Russia. Amazing time. Thank you so much for being with us on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. My pleasure, John Henry. As always, it's, it's great to talk to you. And I've done an interview with you that will feature in the documentary, by the way. <laughs> Excellent. God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.